Once upon a time, late on Christmas Eve, a stranger came to the church on Ruby Road. She carried in her arms the most precious gift of all. A newborn child, a baby girl. Just before midnight, she left her daughter on the steps of the church. The child was taken in, and they named her Ruby, after the place where she was found. I saw the fall of Troy, World War V. I pushed boxes at the Boston Tea Party. Now I'm going to listen to the Doctor Who podcast in a dungeon in Cardiff. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, welcome to the Christmas edition, or the closest to the Christmas edition of the Doctor Who podcast that you are going to get this year. I am joined by my assistant elves, Ian and Phil. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. I've just about come out of my turkey coma, but only just. (laughs) Well, congratulations. (laughs) This is quite a relaxed recording for us, really. Normally, we are on the microphone less than 10-15 minutes after the credits of a new episode have rolled. But this time, looking at the time, I think we are now, what, 15 hours or thereabouts after the Church of Ruby Road aired on BBC One here in the UK, which has given us a whole night, gentlemen, to consider, think and come up with an intelligent and articulate analysis of this episode. How about that? And to sober up. Yeah, well, considering I, I, I sort of carried on drinking after I watched Doctor Who last night. So. <laughs> so we've got two people recovering and, and me having a very thick cold. Maybe this is not going to be the best episode ever. Quality podcasting. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, then, well, let's not prevaricate any further. Ian, let's let's come to you first this time. What did you make of Shooty Gatwa's first episode? I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. It was very definitely a new era. I was actually surprised at how different it felt from the last three episodes, you know, the the three tenant specials where, you know, RTD was back and we all talked about, hey, it's RTD and you can tell he's back. I was sort of expecting there to be a slight flow through, but this just felt like a completely different era. And Shooty is just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. I cannot sing his praises enough. The charisma that just flies out of him through the screen Every scene he was in, I was just enjoying his presence on screen, no matter what's going on. The story itself was, you know, a a nice little, you know, Christmas bit of fluff. Uh, It's not the sort of thing, you know, it's not Genesis of the Daleks. We're not going to come back and be talking about it for the next 30 years. But it was fun. It was entertaining. It was what you want out of a Christmas special. Overall, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of individual bits we can get into. My overall impression was I I was just smiling the whole way through it and enjoyed the whole thing. Excellent. Phil, what did you think about Genesis of the Goblins? <laughs> no, like in, I, I enjoyed it. It's a very, very slight story, but then again, that's what you should expect for a Christmas special. You don't think anything too heavy. 
I think Shuti Gatwa is really, really great in the role. He's got a, a joie de vivre in his performance that um, I think it's been lacking in Doctor Who in recent years because everything's been very sort of doom laden and uh, very dark and everything. This was a breath of fresh air. He's got instant rapport with Ruby Sunday or, or uh, Millie Gibson as well. I think the, the pair of them are really great on screen. The whole thing of family and sort of not belonging was not laid on too thickly. I thought the, the parallels between the two characters was, was really nice. It looked fantastic. The way the goblins were were, were realised, I thought, was um, was very well done. Could have done without the songs, but that's my that's my own personal <laughs> feelings on musicals, as listeners of this podcast already know. Good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I had a silly grin on my face throughout the entire running time as well. And I, I have to say, I, I am the same with Shooty Gatwa. And uh, I, I just instantly accepted him as the Doctor, although I had already, to be fair... I was thinking perhaps the giggle really cemented my view of how good he's going to be. And he's brilliant in a different way to Matt Smith or or David Tennant. And he just came across incredibly confident. He knew he was the Doctor. Now, I know he's an actor. And I know if you're looking at the previous episode, the story was actually this Doctor is not tormented in any way uh, by some kind of trauma or um, fundamental character crisis. Uh, He's just ready to go. And I think the first 15, 20 minutes showed this incarnation of the Doctor accepting who he is and enjoying life. Phil, you called it joie de vivre. I think the Doctor would have called it dancing in a vest in a kilt in a (laughs) nightclub, (laughs) Uh, which was hilarious and also I must say I'm incredibly envious I cannot move like that never have been able to move like that on a dance floor (laughs) but can you carry off a kilt I've not tried probably not in Scotland I've always thought kilts are the strangest national attire for Scotland given it's so cold all the time surely you come up with something a little warmer well, I think it sorts the men from the boys, I think, is the, is the reason for it. <laughs> As the resident campervan Scott, I do have to defend the kilt. However, my legs look dreadful in one, so I don't wear one. <laughs> well, you learn something every day, uh, listeners. I had no idea Ian had a kilt or was indeed a Scot. Or had legs. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you see the top half of him on the screen at the top? <laughs> <laughs> Billy Gibson, also brilliant, really, really good. And again, totally different to any other character that I can think of uh, that's played the companion role in the last 10, 15 years. And uh, just the way in which she came together uh, with the Doctor and the rapport that she had with him didn't feel artificial, didn't feel the same as other companions. And I bought into her personal circumstances. Uh, So I thought it was... I thought it was really good. All of the really important things that you would want in a new episode of Doctor Who that showcasing a new Doctor were there. The weakest part of it for me is not so much the singing, but it was the goblins, right? And and I think it was the fact that they were voiceless. They weren't really a villain. They were a problem to be solved. 
and not a particularly complex one either. I couldn't figure out whether... It's a bit of a knotty problem. Oh, oh. See what you did there? Yeah. yeah. It took me a little bit of a while to get that right. But, um, it's no better even when it takes longer to understand it. And it's just dreadful. <laughs> but um, I wasn't sure whether they were going for the Gremlins vibe. Which, for the first 10-15 minutes or so, I thought this could actually be comedy gold if they go full-on Gremlins, which they didn't. Uh, And and of course, I think both of you mentioned the Labyrinth connection uh, on our preview show. And that was abundantly obvious this time as well. I did find them quite funny. Um, but they were just a little bit too much for me to to, to really enjoy. Well, they, they were just an, an, an irritant, really. They were just sort of there, really, as as a an antagonist. It wasn't really about mm. them at mm. the end of the day, was it? It was more about Ruby and the Doctor. I felt. I think at one point it's included in the dialogue, isn't it, that goblins are actually okay. It's just the eating babies thing that really can't be allowed to continue. Yeah, <laughs> R- RTD said that on um, uh, un- is un- Unleashed, yeah. Unleashed, yeah, on, on Unleashed. Um, that they're, they're actually really quite fun and nice, and they sing, and who wouldn't like that? Except for the whole eating babies bit. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't it, remember whether it. that was actually in a script or not. But yeah, <laughs> I'm a doctor, and this is my friend. Ruby Sunday, and I would just like to say why stop singing? Rocket Janice! Cause the Goblin King, oh the Goblin King, it's so good to meet you, you great big thing. In terms of the musical number, I mean, we knew it was coming and we've been playing the Goblin song on a DWP for the last couple of weeks and, and talking about it. However, it was a surprise to me that the Doctor got a verse, as did Ruby. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised that we got so much in advance, you know, a whole three minute piece or whatever it was in advance. I'm actually glad they did. Because I think if the song had come at us cold with no one even knowing it was coming, it would have been quite a whoa in the middle of the show. <laughs> and actually, I found that I just rolled with it better. I mean, no, I don't want my Doctor Who to turn into a, a musical comedy every week. I don't mind that. It's a Christmas special. You know, it was deliberately a little bit light. And we've had sort of some light and fluffy things in previous Christmas specials. So I'm quite happy to sort of uh, wave that away. And I think it actually landed better for the fact that we knew it was coming, but they still managed to get a little bit of a surprise in there that I wasn't expecting the Doctor to suddenly jump in and, and uh, Ruby as well. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, I was quite happy with that. I didn't have a huge huge problem with it. It wasn't that. out of place, was it? No, no. no, I don't think so. You know, it, it, it didn't jar. No, it was a whimsical episode and it was a whimsical thing. And, yeah, there's a sort of slight fairy tale. And RTD has said that there's a little bit more of a sort of fantastical fairy tale element coming in. And it, it fit into that well. And, again, as a Christmas special, I'm completely happy with that. If this was every single week, I think we would probably get a bit more curmudgeonly about it. But as a, you know, a throwaway. And it did 
barely make sense within the story. So you don't have to sort of like, you know, look away and pretend it's not happening. Mm. Mm. They were goblins. This is what they do. It kind of worked within the the, the story they were telling about them. Yeah. Um, I, I think the mythical side of things is interesting. And I'm beginning to think it's all linked into the setup at the end of Wild Blue Yonder where fantasy or myths become part of the universe that the Doctor and a companion are inhabiting, which also has to be intrinsically linked, in my view, to the continuation of Mavity, uh, which mm. clearly has not been done with yet. So we are in a universe at the moment where gravity is no more and Mavity is a thing. Now that is not the fourth iteration of the same joke that doesn't mean anything. It's starting to feel like one of RTD's little seeds that he that he leaves for us to pick up. What I did spot in this, and actually just to sort of come back a little bit around the goblins, we talk about them, no, they weren't really much of a threat and it wasn't that bad. There was actually a dark heart to this story, which was the section where Ruby is gone because she was eaten as a baby and is erased from time. That And it's only a couple of minutes long. That was actually really quite dark and serious. And seeing the effect that her absence yeah. has on the other characters, on the grandmother, on the mother, that, and I, I, I liked the fact that it was given that quite serious dark heart. And that it did actually mm. make it a bit more serious. But I think there's also a thing here that time can be changed. And, you know, we, we, we know this sort of, from the past where outside of fixed points in time history can be changed but the Mavity thing I think was first saying nothing is fixed things can be changed even quite significant things have been can be changed and we saw another example of it here and I think now whether the, that that's all the Mavity was there for probably not but I think that is something that's being you know lampshaded in front of us is that you know things are not set. Mm. Now I, I will just pick up on your first point there because I had it on my notes as well and um, it wasn't so much from a story perspective where everything got a little darker without Ruby it was a from a production perspective as well and that flat when we're introduced to it it's all Christmassy there's a, a levity and atmosphere it feels like a place that you know what you could just walk in and feel instantly at home, uh, even mm. if the service, in terms of getting a cup of tea, is lacking. Where is my blasted tea? Cherry, I'm glad she got a cup of tea at the end, but my goodness, she did ask about seven times for it. But the, the, the whole um, the whole ambience there was turned on its head in a very RTD way the minute Ruby had disappeared. And um, I think even the hue over the screen and the lighting mm. was different. And all of a sudden... As much as you had felt optimism and uh, joie de vivre, I'm going to keep coming back to use that now, Phil. It's all your fault. <laughs> um, it had gone. It was notable by its absence. And uh, and the way the Doctor reacted to that did underline the threat that the goblins presented, even though it was deliberately supposed to be a bit pantomime I think. And just to, to mention, I think the acting of... Cherry and the mother was fantastic because I was loving Cherry, Cherry's character. She was just so fun every time she was on screen, and then she wasn't. And that flip of being so charismatic to being really quite dark and depressing, and the same with the mother as well, who went from being this incredibly welcoming, fun character to someone who was actually quite grumpy and, and, and curmudgeonly, she maybe join our podcast, <laughs> I thought was a, a wonderful contrast and showed some great acting and some great direction. Sorry, sorry, Bob. Where's she gone? What are you on about? I'm looking for your daughter. 
Don't be daft. Lulu's not my daughter. I'm fostering her just for a couple of days. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean your daughter, Ruby. Who's Ruby? Your daughter. I told you, this is Lulu. And she's a right old pain on Christmas Eve. Last thing I need. Do you remember Ruby? What you talking about? Your granddaughter is called Ruby. There is no beginning at this home. We were never so blessed. I say it's that thing where, you know, when Ruby was in their lives, Cherry was sitting up in bed and she was looking at her iPad or a, a, a Chromebook, whatever the hell it was, and she was chatty and sort of sarcastic and fun and then but it's that bit when she's as you say it's that when she's not there when she's gone from that that timeline she's just sort of lying down in bed asleep and it's almost like sort of depression as well so she's she's given up on life and I thought that that was quite quite telling especially at at this time of year as well because we you know we all know that Christmas isn't fun for everybody across this planet of ours so I think that just sort of um, hit that point quite nicely actually that you know it, it's it's people make life what it is not not material things indeed and um, I, I think one of the things people veer towards at Christmas is the television and uh, reality TV shows I think you could probably put uh, an argument forward to say generally create more depression rather than <laughs> rather than help people cope with uh, with life but Davina McCall who if I suppose you were looking for a British icon who represented reality TV um, was present front and center and mm. what a good role uh, what a great character very believable, and uh, I'd never heard of this reality show that Ian, I think you'd mentioned on the on the last show, but of course I've I've looked it up now, and I watched Unleashed, and she said on Unleashed it was all done officially, so uh, the BBC or Bad Wolf contacted ITV, and they were very very keen to get the details of that particular show correct, and I just think it added a little bit of sincerity to the plot. Line, and RTD really. actually said that it was watching the show that inspired him to take to do that sort of plot line in the first place which and it was a nice nod back to them um slightly disappointed that Davina didn't get eaten by a goblin as i had predicted um however she <laughs> she was impaled through the skull by a christmas star by a goblin so you know yeah. I'll, I'll take half a point for that and of course i get a full point for the fact that uh, the doctor did go back to where uh, Ruby was being a abandoned. Uh, so that's one and a half points of the non-official predictions there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like the fact I think this may be the only guest companion killed by a Christmas tree. Christmas invasion, obviously. Uh, there are some links there as well. And I know uh, Camille Kaduri came perilously close to being, I think, shredded by a spinning Christmas tree. <laughs> Um, the, the point you made earlier on, actually, about um, timelines and time can be undone. I'm not sure whether that was really clever or whether it was just actually, do you know what? It's quite easy to prevent this threat because all we do, we go back to the point where it was created in the first place and undo that. Now, that in itself is quite a simplistic time travel uh, solution uh, to, to many plots that we've seen. Um, although it didn't quite feel like that um, until... The ship, the kind of Peter Pan goblin ship, just disappeared from existence when the King Goblin was killed. 
impaled on a church. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just assumed that was, okay, well, the timeline was meddled with by goblins. That was repaired by the Doctor. And therefore, perhaps the mythical status of everything that allowed them into existence in the first place kind of was adjusted. I, I didn't know why they just faded into nothing. Why aren't there lots of dead goblin bodies all over the churchyard? That's what I want to see on Christmas Day. <laughs> so because it's Christmas, I suspect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess there's only one other thing that's um, on my list that needs uh, needs discussing urgently, and that's Anita Dobson's character, Mrs. Yes. Blood. Um, and obviously we got the, the question, who is she? And we'll work our way through the entire back catalogue of Usual Suspects in a second. But before we do, what I would like to ask is how come that pre the Goblin timeline meddling, she was just another neighbour and it only appeared to be the case that she was a little bit more aware of what was going on after the Doctor had been involved. Now, is that important? Was she just playing a role? Did she know what was was coming, or is she just going to be yet another mysterious woman? RTD includes in in his stories. Do you remember the one in End of Time as well? Oh, we never God. got any explanation who she was. We just assumed she was the Doctor's mother of some kind. I tried to forget that, and you just reminded me. <laughs> uh, I watched End of Time the other week, and it's still terrible. Yes, it is. It's awful. Prior to the goblins arriving, I think she she knows more than she was letting on. I, I think that also the other thing that whole I don't know if you noticed that the all the front doors that, that on that street were all Tardis blue. So no, I, I didn't. Yeah, I so as well. yeah, so I don't know if there's something. I don't know. She seems to sort of what was, what was the neighbour's name? Was it Abdul? What reason his name was? The guy down the road. Um, she was quite content on blaming him for it, but didn't seem perturbed about the fact that it was an old police box. Either mm. it was just the fact you've left it in the middle of the pavement. How am I supposed to get around that? It wasn't the fact it was a police box. And at the end, she's just sitting there on a on a picnic chair in a, in a, in a front path, just watching it all happen. Yeah, um, people don't do that, by the way. They just in don't. Case, no. Um, people in America or internationally think this is a British thing. People don't sit on a garden chair in their front garden at no. Christmas. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> so I've got a couple of observations around Mrs. Flood which yes. is that previously they've played the game with River Song and Amy Pond and Mrs. Flood. But I think that that's a double fake out from RTD, who's just trying to wind us fans up. I think that's a little bit too obvious. The other thing I just want to say is I think she has to be an alien. And the reason is that at 75, she ran a 25-minute 5K, which is better than my lifetime personal best. Now, I know you don't have to be an alien to be able to manage that, but it'll do my self-esteem a lot of good if she is. Well, I, th I think you're right, Ian. I think she's an alien, and I think I know what alien as well, actually. Ooh, because do, do I need to find a sound effect here for a big prediction announcement? Well, no, yeah. because Flood, there's an alien name hiding in the name Flood. She's an ood. Ood. She's an ood. She's an ood. Oh, there you are. Okay. Okay. Thanks. That's... Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave the sound effects. Uh, leave it out. On yeah. the side for the minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say rain because rain obviously results in a flood, and rain is an anagram of Rani. So of course oh, she's the Rani. Hey. <laughs> Here we go. We had to get to the Rani sooner or later. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I was, yeah. I was going for something hidden in plain sight. <laughs> yeah. Um. I put it this way. I'm intrigued 
by her identity for sure. And I like the fact that we've got on Christmas Day once again someone speaking to camera. And, yes. and yeah, they're not yes. they're not saying the same as William Hartnell did in the Feast of Stephen all those years ago, but it's very reminiscent of it. So it's um despite the fact the episode feels very new, very different, it's it's good that we've still got those very clear touch points with the past. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um what one thing I must pick up on though is the these fancy gloves that the doctor invented Ooh, yeah. or, or pulled out of nowhere when he sort of started pulling down the the ship at the end. I thought this has become a little bit sort of Iron Man at the moment. It's sort of like Tony Stark tech. Really I got- thought that too. And, and, and bearing in mind, I know nothing about the Marvel universe until recently when Michelle has absolutely made me watch a bunch <laughs> of films in order to appreciate this flipping Loki characters history and guess what i thought when i saw those gloves tony stark so yeah. michelle you've had an impact unfortunately. <laughs> it, it was explained in dialogue that he reversed the power in it to make it heavier and something and eh, yeah the doctor's pulled. that was the mavity reference wasn't yeah it's it? that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's pulled out um devices and in contraptions for years the doctor's always done stuff like this yeah so, I, think- I wonder if these if these are going to become a thing like the like the sonic sunglasses were with uh capaldi or it's just a one-off for this for this episode he's going to conjure up loads of different little bits of fancy it's a little tech. bit too much isn't it because you've already got the sonic screwdriver one that no longer looks anything like a screwdriver it looks more like a tricorder than it ever has um and and secondly Whatever limitations the sonic screwdriver has, it now appears you've got a pair of gloves uh, to, to fill in the gap. And, you know, it, it's getting to the point where there's going to be a device. You know, you've got a psychic paper, sonic screwdriver, now these gloves. What next? Um, you know, are we on full on turning the doctor into a, a superhero? Uh, I, his, I his sonic didn't work on ropes and knots. So, you know, I didn't think they ever did it. What do you think of that sonic screwdriver? Seriously, how can it even be called a screwdriver anymore? It looks like a foldable mobile phone from the early 90s, if you ask me. (laughs) It's always just been a plot device that he holds in his hand and does stuff with. I don't think it... I mean, he uses it like a remote control a lot of the times, having it look like a remote control. Eh, It's a prop. I, I, I don't really care about it. It's not like he actually stands there turning screws and it needs to be screwdriver shaped. Uh, I think used it's to, fine. you know, Fury from the Deep. Yeah. <laughs> don't you remember that, Ian? Uh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think it matters that much. You know, and f- in some ways, I think it's actually interesting to go in a, in a bold, different direction rather than having another iteration of how many random bits of tech can be hung off the side of a screwdriver-shaped object. I, I, I'm fine with it. And it sells more merch. So, yeah, that's hey. true, yeah. <laughs> Right, I think that might be enough goblins for the time being, unless we are going to get another episode in which they are going to feature. I don't think so. I'm not sure we're going to get a return of the goblins, are we? Although they have made... I was surprised (laughs) to see they were all practical physical effects, and the BBC does tend to reuse the masks once they've got them. So, who knows? It was quite funny uh, watching it on Unleashed, because I didn't realise they were uh, actual prosthetics, and they were humans Mm. with uh, masks on. Until Stephen Powell interviewed one of them who was dressed up, who was 
Poe from the Teletubbies, you know, so like Anita Dobson and Poe. I mean, what more could you want in an episode of, uh, of <laughs> yeah. Doctor Who? I saw quite a few of the reviews actually where people were talking about CGI goblins and was surprised when I watched Unleashed to see none of them were CGI. They were all real practical, including the Goblin King. Yeah, everything looked really, really good. Um, the Goblin King reminded me of Jabba the Hutt mm. when you saw some making of the, um, documentaries uh, where you had three people operate that puppet. Uh, and there was five, mm. I think five in this <laughs> Plus one. Plus remote control guy. Yes, yes, yes. But what, what do you do with that puppet afterwards? You just put it in a cupboard? Well, we don't have the convention to put it into anymore, so they have to reopen the, the museum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Anyway, Ian, Phil, it's been great speaking to you again, especially after I think uh, an episode of Doctor Who we are fairly united on was successful, marks a change. And uh, again, just after the credits rolled, we saw a brief montage of upcoming episodes uh, that will be on our screens as from May 2024, apparently. So just when... The weather is getting warmer and the European Championships are going to be on your screens all over the place. Doctor Who will also be returning. But was there anything from that brief preview of Series 1, Series 15, whatever it's going to be? Anything that took your fancy there? Again, they didn't really give anything away. Mainly focus on the Doctor and Ruby, to be honest. And I'm fine with that. Keep it all all secret. We had a a little glimpse of... uh, some funny slug monsters which if you've been people out there have been paying attention over the last few months those photos have been floating around on the internet it's the tractators (laughs) yes they're back or gastropods I was thinking gastropods (laughs) from the twin dilemma (laughs) Ian you you missed the trick you should have said it like Mark Strickson said it it's like tractators (laughs) you should have got (laughs) (laughs) lovely okay we will be back in a few days with our review of 2023 And then we have our predictions episode early in January, something we are all looking forward to very, very much. In the meantime, have a wonderful new year. Um, Try not to miss Doctor Who too much. It will be the first New Year's Day without an episode of Doctor Who for, what, four years? Absolute scandalous RTD. What is it you're doing to us? (laughs) And on that note, bye for now, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. That was the Doctor Who Podcast with your hosts... James, Phil, and Ian. You can find us at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening and take care.
space in between. 